Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Michelle and Friends. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Michelle, and I'm here to share this journey through the Bible with you. We are taking a revelatory walk through the pages of Scripture. What does that mean? Well, we're going to learn the facts of the Bible. We're going to see this, the grand story of the Bible. We'll learn the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, and all of that that helps us to know what God has done and what He has said that He will do in the future. And we will also, in addition to knowledge, have encounter. If we have our hearts open and our minds ready to receive, that as we walk through the pages of Scripture, we will encounter God's heart. And we will learn that the God of the Bible is still the God of today, who works through the lives of ordinary people to help them to do extraordinary things for His glory. And I pray that that will encourage you, uplift you, strengthen you, and spur you on to live this life of faith. All right. So we are in session number four, and we are in the book of Genesis. The the chapters we will be looking at in this session will be chapters 33 to 50. So when you finish session four you will have finished the entire book of Genesis. And I think that's a great accomplishment, all right? As we get into the action of the book of Genesis and we go a little bit further, I want to introduce you and reintroduce you to some of the main figures that you will meet. We have already heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's twin brother named Esau. Now, in this part of Genesis, we are going to learn more about Jacob's family, his sons. He has 12 sons, and you know all of the sons are important, but there are a few that stick out even more. So we're going to hear about Reuben, who is the firstborn. We are going to meet uh, Judah, who is the fourthborn. And we are going to meet Joseph, who is the 11th child and Benjamin, who is the last. And so these four boys play very important roles in the these chapters, especially Joseph. We're going to learn more about Joseph Joseph's life and how he played a huge role in his family's preservation. It's one of my favorite uh, figures in the scripture, so I'm going to be excited to share this with you. There's another person that you're going to meet, and this is the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he also plays a significant role in the action of the narrative. So we're going to learn about Pharaoh, what he does, what his response to the God of Israel is going to be, and how that moves the story forward. So let's jump right in. In chapter 32 from the last session, we saw that Jacob is getting ready to go home. He was away from his family's home for many, many years because he deceived his father and his brother and took his brother's blessing. And so now he has a word from the Lord, it's time to go home. And now if he's going home, who is he going to meet? He's going to meet his brother Esau. And we don't know if Esau is still angry or if he's forgiven him. We don't know just yet. So Jacob has to trust God to lead him in this way. And so he spends the night by himself. He sends the family up a little bit forward on. He spends the night by himself and he wrestles with a man. And his name is changed from Jacob to 
Israel. He receives blessing and he also gets a limp from his wrestling match and he is now like blessed even more to go and meet his brother and to face whatever it is he is going to face. So in the morning when Jacob arises, he sees Esau approaching. And Esau is really coming with 400 men. So he puts the children and the, his wives in this order, the handmaidens first and their children, then Leah and her children and Rachel and her child. And then he goes out in front of them. And as he is approaching his brother, he is bowing to the ground seven times. Now, this is a sign of deep respect that you would give to a king. And so in doing this, you see Jacob is really submitting himself to his brother and humbling himself in, in advance of their actual meeting. But verse four says this, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This was an embrace, all right? This was an embrace. This was not a fight. This was a love embrace between two brothers. And in the chapter before, Jacob prays to God, listen, please deliver me, <laughs> deliver me from my brother's hands. And we see here God answers and Esau is ecstatic. He is so happy to see his brother and Jacob is pleased that Esau is happy to see him. Esau even asks him, all the gifts that you sent ahead. What are they about? Why are you sending gifts? And Jacob says that these gifts were sent to for respect and also to get find grace in the sight of his Lord. And he's calling Esau his Lord. And he says he calls him he, himself also his servant. And so he's denoting respect, submission, humility. And Esau says, listen, I don't need anything else, all right? So you can keep it. Jacob's like, I don't need any more. You keep it, you keep it. And at the end, Esau keeps it. But it shows us that both have enough. So truly the blessing of God is on their lives. So it's time to leave after this great meetup, this great interaction, this great, great embrace. And Esau is going ahead. He says, I'm going to go ahead and then you all can follow. And Jacob tells Esau that he has, you know, younger children and the cattle and all those things. So he will lead on softly, meaning he'll go ahead more slowly and gently. So God told Jacob to go home, to go back to their family land. But Jacob decides to make some pit stops. So he doesn't follow his brother in the way that he should go. But what he actually does is he travels north and he goes to a place called Succoth. And he builds for himself a house and erects tents for his animals. So we know it's not a permanent place. It's just a pause on the journey. But God told him to go home. So he, he goes to Succoth, he pauses there, right? And then he continues to a place called Shechem. Now in Shechem, he buys a piece of land for a hundred pieces of money and he builds an altar there and he digs a well and he dwells there with his family for a little bit. Now this is important because God told him go home, right? Now through his pit stop in Shechem, there is a family disturbance that happens that will, it will affect the family for generations. So we're moving over to chapter 34 and Jacob and his family are in Shechem, right? And they are, they are in this pit stop 
right? And God really intended for Jacob to go to Bethel, right? That was the place where there was the the uh, monument, the oil, the altar, and that's where God made the vow to him. But he stops off in Shechem. Now, Jacob has 11 sons, but he only has one daughter. If you heard me talk about in the last video, his daughter Dinah, the princess among them. Now she goes out to see the daughters of the land. So she goes out to find the, the other young ladies who live there. We don't read in the text that she is supervised or that she's protected by a brother. So she could be alone. We're not sure. We don't even know if she had permission to go. But as she goes out, we know that she is alone because Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, so he's a prince of the country, sees her, takes her, and sleeps with her. All right. So basically he rapes her because they're not married, nothing like that. And afterwards, his soul is strongly attached to Dinah and he loves her and speaks kindly to her. So after the act is done, he actually is in love with her and he speaks well with her. So he tells his father that he wants to marry her. And so him and his father go to Jacob and they want to talk about arranging this marriage. And the, the son Shechem is like, listen, ask for anything you want and I will give it to you because I need to have your daughter. Verse seven says, when they hear it, the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. So we see right there, the Bible tells us about the disposition of the brothers. They are grieved and they are very angry for what has happened to their sister. So um, Shechem's father, Hamar, says to them, listen, we will give you great things. Our family should intermarry. We'll dwell together. You can do business in the land and all of that. We just want, I just want my son to marry your daughter. Now, here's what happens. The sons of Jacob, remember, they're very angry. They're very upset. They answer Shechem and Hamar deceitfully. They say that Dinah can't marry Shechem because he is not circumcised and the people aren't either. So circumcision was a sign of the promise with Abraham's children. And now these other people are not in that promise. They don't have that sign of circumcision. So the father and the son, Hamar and Shechem, they, they decide, listen, we still want Dinah to come into our family. And so we will, we will be circumcised and they will also convince the men of the community to do it as well. And, you know, they kind of sweeten the pot by saying, well, we'll do, we'll do business with this wealthy family and, uh, you know, we'll trade with their livestock and their property and all of those things. So they wanted to show them that there was a gain in doing this, this act. And listen, as grown men, it would have been very painful, right? So every male is circumcised. Now, on the third day, they're sore, right? <laughs> they're, they're sore. And Simeon and Levi, two of the sons of Jacob, come boldly, the scripture says, into the city and they kill all the men, including Hamar and Shechem. They kill them with the sword. And then they go into Shechem's house and take Dinah out. And then they plundered the city. So they took all of the possessions. 
Simeon and Levi are so upset that when the men cannot defend themselves because they're sore from circumcision, they go in and kill everybody and plunder the city. This was the way that they avenged their sister. So Jacob is not happy with this when he hears what happened. And in verse 30, we read, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. So Jacob is not pleased and he's saying to his sons, we are, we are less than they are. What is going to happen now when they find out what has happened? This behavior was not right with Simeon and Levi. Yes, what was done to Dinah was absolutely wrong. And had they left it with God, God would have avenged her in time. Trust God is just and he is faithful. So Simeon and Levi, who are supposed to be the ones who walk with God and who, you know, who are part of covenant, they have now sins of lying and stealing and murdering. They will carry great consequences later on. And when we see Jacob blessing his sons at the ending of these chapters, you will see what he says. So yes, they wanted justice for their sister and that is honorable and that is right but they went after it the wrong way. They returned evil for evil. And that was not what was supposed to happen. And we're moving into chapter 35. And the chapter opens up with God saying to Jacob in verse one, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Bethel was where Jacob was supposed to go. Had he gone straight to Bethel, we would not have seen this issue in Shechem. And so now God says, get up and go to where I sent you. Jacob tells all of his company, all of his family to get rid of their idols and to purify themselves as they prepare to make this journey. And so you might think like, why are there idols among Jacob's family if he is a God of covenant and they're following him so closely? Why do they have idols in their company? But in this time, many idols were seen as also like good luck charms and, you know, and the superstition, certain things you have. So for, for fertility, for different things. And remember Rachel, when she took her father's idols, when they left just a few chapters back. So many of them actually had these as good luck charms. And it looks, and it also brings it to us in our lives as we follow God, as we walk with Jesus, do we have good luck charms? God doesn't want any of those things among us. The family and company of Jacob follow his instructions. They get rid of their idols and they purify themselves. And Jacob follows the Lord's instructions to go to Bethel. And as they're going, the scripture says that no, no one from the different cities touched them because the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God protected them on their journey. Jacob comes to Bethel and he builds an altar and calls the place El Bethel because God appeared to him when he first fled from Esau. That was the same place where God met him 
And also this is a place where, you know, he dreamed about the ladder reaching heaven and the angels ascending and descending on it. God meets with Jacob again, and he blesses him and reminds him of who he is. So in verses 10 to 12, we read this. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I will give this land. I give this land. And so God gives him this covenant, this promise once again, and reminds him that his name is Israel. His his name has been changed. And so Jacob worships there and he offers a drink offering and he pours oil on the stones and he journeys from Bethel to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Now on the way, Rachel, the beloved wife, uh, she goes into labor because she's pregnant and she gives birth to a son. And unfortunately, she's dying. The, the labor was that intense. And as she is dying, she calls that child Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob renames him and he calls him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So after childbirth, Rachel dies and she is buried there on the, the way to Bethlehem. And if you ever get a chance to do some research about her her burial part and the, how it's so sacred in the land, it's, it's very fascinating even up to today, right? So she's buried on the way and Jacob sets up a pillar and, um, you know, he just weeps for her because, you know, he loved Rachel. So he continues on because he, he was very close to Bethlehem when, when Rachel dies. So he just continues on and he dwells in the land. And Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, does something that doesn't please his father. What does he do? He sleeps with his father's concubine. All right. He sleeps with Billa and everybody hears about it. And he thinks that he gets away with uh, from from a consequence, but the consequence comes later on. All right. So we're going to when we're talking about Jacob blessing his sons, you're going to see what happens to Reuben, who is the firstborn. He was supposed to get the double blessing, the birthright, all of that. But because of his sin right here, he walks himself out of his blessing. So you're going to see that a little bit later on. So now with the new child, the new baby, Benjamin, Jacob has 12 sons. And so we see he has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. He has Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, the daughter, Dinah, uh, and Joseph and Benjamin. So now he has 12 sons and one daughter. So Jacob comes to his father, who is at Hebron, and that's also where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. And Isaac lives uh, up to about 180 years, and then he dies, and Esau and Jacob bury him. So Jacob sees his father at the end of his days, and he buries him. And in, in all of this, we're seeing a man named Jacob who is 
who is going through a lot, who's being changed, who's being transformed. God has changed his name to Israel. Um, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And that means a prince who prevails with God, right? And it's just letting you know that as you go through your promised journey or as you go towards the promises that God has spoken over your lives, you will encounter things on the way. You don't know what victory is if you've never experienced any challenges. So even on the journey, like I show you, these were ordinary people who were made extraordinary because of what God did in their lives. So I pray that you would be encouraged that he, God desires that we believe in him, trust in him and obey him. And he will do amazing things in our lives and transform us into the person he knows we can be. Now, Isaac dies 180 years and Esau and Jacob bury him. And as we move over to chapter 36, we learn more about Esau's descendants. This is Jacob's twin brother. Esau took wives from the daughters of Canaan, right? And remember, Abraham was determined that Isaac not take a wife from among the daughters of Canaan. Um, he didn't want them to intermarry with the Canaanites. He wanted them to stay set, set apart and marry from their own family so that they would be a people unto God. So Esau's marriage to the Canaanite women caused grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And I want to read to you from the verse 6 to 8 in chapter 36. It says this, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle and all his animals, and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. We know now that Esau is not really close to his brother in proximity because they've got so much possession, so many possessions, they have to separate. So in this chapter, we learn more about Esau and we learn about who are the princes of the their nation, who are the chiefs of Edom, who are the sons of Seir, who are the kings of Edom and the chiefs of Esau. So we just see more of the, the structure, the infrastructure of this, this nation. And the interesting thing about this too is because Esau was blessed. So as we look through the listing of all of these uh, great men in this, this nation or this descendants of Esau, there is a name that pops out. And one of the names is Amalek. And uh, from him come the Amalekites. This tribe is a notable enemy of Israel later on. So just remember that name comes from Edom, which is the descendants of um, houses the descendants of Esau, and this person, Amalek, is going to cause problems for the Israelites later on, okay? So the nations of Edom share the same ancestor, which is Isaac, um, but they intermarried with the Canaanites, and Jacob, who becomes Israel, was told not to do that so that they wouldn't take on the Canaanite customs. It's just like how God wants us to be in the world, but not of it. Doesn't Don't take on the customs and the behavior of the world. And so this gives us more about Esau and his descendants. Mm -hmm.